Canada, a home and native land. Oh, uh, no, that's not right, is it? Hello, everyone. It's Michael and Josh. Josh the Magnificent again. Um, the reason for my slight error there is we're talking about ASCO and I did not do very well in geography at school. So ASCO is the American Society of Clinical Oncology, not the Canadian side. There's a far lower concentration of maple syrup and ice hockey. But we are here today to give you, our lovely listeners, a bit of a primer, a bit of a taste of what might be coming in this year's ASCO 2023 conference. We're going to do it from the freezing basements in our respective homes in Melbourne and Sydney, so neither Josh nor I have been able to make it to Chicago this year, but nevertheless, we will brave the cold and the wind to bring this information to you. And Josh, I think you share my uh, sudden verve of misplaced patriotism there. Yeah, that that was hilarious, Michael, although we have nice, warm, sunny weather here in Sydney. (laughs) I always say that. And finally, also, this is dedicated to all the specialists and trainees who are stuck working while everyone else is at ASCO learning about the weird and wonderful. So what what we want to do with this uh, entree, as we call it in Australia and England, it's a different thing in America, but we want to have a look at some of the exciting abstracts. Now, we're not going to go into any information on the actual studies because we don't have that yet. That is soon to come and will be coming in a flurry of later episodes on Oncology for the Inquisitive Mind. But we're just going to talk about the abstracts at face value, how they could fit into our standard practice, and why they make us excited. So Josh, why don't you start with the neuro-oncology update? What's caught your eye there? Yeah, thanks, Michael. So the first trial is called the Indigo trial, which is a global randomized double-blinded phase three, looking at voracidinib versus placebo, placebo um, in grade two gliomas with IDH1-2 mutations. Background, people who have sort of recurrent grade one or grade two gliomas average life expectancy is seven years. So this is quite exciting to see whether this actually comes up positive. Absolutely. And I think it is very interesting because just because you have a grade two glioma, we did this in our um, neuro-oncology episode a little while back, but just because you have a grade two glioma doesn't mean that it doesn't grow and doesn't mean that you don't have symptoms. We've got patients, I, I know I have patients, Josh, where that do have anatomically or histopathologically grade two gliomas, but they're significantly impaired by it. So any uh, drug that can inhibit the classical mutation, which is the IDH1-2 enzyme mutation, is obviously very exciting. Exactly, Michael. But let's move on to the GI update. There's a couple of exciting things in the rectal cancer sphere. Do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. We're moving very quickly. We're not stopping for gas or a breath here. There are a couple of interesting updates uh, focusing on the rectal cancer space. The first is the PROSPECT study. And this is one of, I think, quite a few studies in the rectal cancer space recently that are looking at actually de-escalating the amount of treatment we give patients with early rectal cancer. So it's a randomized phase three trial of neoadjuvant chemo radiation versus neoadjuvant fulfox chemotherapy with selective use 
of chemo radiation, followed by surgery in the form of a total mesorectal excision, which is probably, Josh, about half of what patients will get as standard for early rectal cancer at the moment. Exactly. And anything that we can de-escalate is worthwhile investigating because decreases morbidity and if it doesn't change PFS or OS, we're, we're all game, game for that. Absolutely. Um, next is the flip side of this argument, which is the Pradige study. Now, this is a seven-year update. We have discussed Pradige 23 on this show before. It's the total neoadjuvant therapy with fulfirinox and chemoradiotherapy versus chemoradiation alone. Um, so a much more intensive trial. But the main question was, does this improve overall survival? Because the data was actually very immature when it was first published, but there was a slight improvement in disease-free survival and distant um, disease-free metastases. So it will be interesting to see if the early promise from Pradige is paid off. Now, Josh, there are a few uh, updates for colon cancer moving up the elementary tract, as it were. Um, Do you want to briefly discuss those? Yeah, thanks, Michael. The one that I'm very excited about is the Destiny CRC-02. Now, we don't have the results for this, but it's trastuzumab deruxtecan in those with HER2 overexpression with metastatic colorectal cancer. The original Destiny CRC-01 was a dose-finding single-arm trial, and what it found was an overall response rate of 45% in those with HER2-positive tumors and a median duration of response of seven months. In what's been a notoriously difficult segment to treat when it comes to duration of response with classical trastuzumab, this is a pretty exciting one, and I'm hoping this will be a positive result to give another treatment option in this subset of patients. It's got to be positive. I don't think there's been a negative trastuzumab deruxtecan study yet. It's such a good drug. Antibody drug conjugates are the way to go. <laughs> Absolutely. And our next one is the Neocol trial. And not something I've really thought about, but it's looking at neoadjuvant chemotherapy in patients with locally advanced colon cancer, the Neocol trial. So it's a phase three, so it's pretty big. It's an interesting question because I would have to look up the details seeing what they consider locally advanced colon cancer, but this is already a pretty murky space. So I'd be interested to see if neoadjuvant chemo provides positive outcomes and if we work keep working our way up michael to a slightly less fun topic pancreatic cancer is there anything interesting there um so one of these studies is the norpac study which is a scandinavian study on pancreatic cancer that is examining short course neoadjuvant fulfirinox comparing it to upfront surgery for resectable pancreatic head cancer. Now, obviously, this is a fairly small subset of patients because patients who have upfront resectable pancreatic cancer tend to be few and far between. But I guess the question is, we know that if patients, even if patients are found to be resectable at diagnosis and they have upfront surgery, the rates of recurrence are still fairly abysmal. And so whether a short course and we don't have details about exactly how much that will be something that will need to be explained and will be explained at the ASCO meeting Um, but it will be interesting to see if a short course of neoadjuvant fulfirinox actually improves outcomes I guess they're probably not looking at uh, resectability because we know patients are upfront resectable uh, but whether it 
uh, improves longer-term outcomes and recurrence rates. So that's the pancreatic space, characteristically sparse based on our um, initial assessment. But moving on to the genitourinary space and starting with renal cell cancer, there's quite a lot at ASCO this year, Josh. There are. Most of them are actually updates, though. So you, we've spoken about a number of these trials already. So the first being the CLEAR trial, which is the final pre-specified overall survival of patients with lenvatinib plus pembrolizumab versus sinitinib in patients with advanced renal cell cancer. Like all of these trials, they're comparing it to the old school standard of care, which was sinitinib, which generally is rarely used in these days. And so, But that is something that uh, our colleagues from Australia will be looking at closely because I believe lenvatinib plus pembro has recently been approved for use in RCC in Australia. So, But lenvatinib haven't used the tw- I think it's 24 milligrams I've seen it used at, and that's a real toxic dose. So I suspect I'd be interested to see their dosing schedules and, you know, their toxicity, long-term toxicity profile as well. I've seen people have a very, very low threshold just to drop the dose at the first sign of toxicity. So I do agree with you that it's almost... The number of people who can take a full dose, you can probably count on one hand. Um, I'll talk about the next one as well, but this is the Contact 03, which is something I haven't had much experience with, which is the atezolizumab plus cabozantinib versus cabozantinib alone. Um, And it's looking at efficacy and safety in those who have progressed with prior immune checkpoint inhibitor treatment in metastatic renal cell carcinoma. Primary PFS analysis is coming out, and that would be really interesting to see whether these patients still have a response, even though they progress on prior immunotherapy. There have been a couple of studies using a TESO that have actually interestingly failed, where other IO agents have succeeded. I'm thinking in the bladder space, there was a study of a TESO that was negative. Um, and I think there have been a couple of breast cancer studies of ATEZO that have been negative. So it'll be interesting if it can buck the trend of being a, a lung-only drug or lung and liver-only drug um, and showing and show some benefit in the kidney space. Yeah, I feel ATEZO, unlike the, his younger, older brothers and sisters, just doesn't One do of them. as well. One of them. Um, and fi- and finally, there's the Keynote 426, so back to Pembro plus Exitinib. This was one of the first trials I ever looked at when I started my training. I very much remember Exitinib. It reminded me of Astro Boy for some reason. I don't know why. You're betraying your vintage there, Josh. I am, I am. So it's Pembro plus Exitinib versus Sinitinib as first-line therapy advanced RCC. So, yeah, I, I know you can use Exitinib, Michael, but... I think it's generally if you've received initial therapy and I think most people progress on other treatments before they kind of get to this. So probably don't have that many people who continue on exitinib. Uh, Very wise words, Josh. Thanks, Michael. And do you want to tell us about the bladder sphere? I'm going to hog the bladder and the prostate because there's not too much here that we noted. But the in the bladder space, there is the five-year follow-up for the VESPA trial. This was a study comparing dose-dense MVAC and GEM, cytobine, and cisplatin. And this is a very interesting trial that I'll be following very closely because cisplatin and GEM cytobine uh, sort of got adopted as a as a standard of care for bladder cancer, owing to a non inferiority study way back when, and 
several of several specialists that I've worked with have uh, sort of called that into question. Now, that's not saying that the majority of patients would be able to tolerate dose Zenvac, but it is thought to be more efficacious than cisplatin and gemcitabine. The uh, updates up to this point have demonstrated that MVAC does improve the three-year PFS over over gemcitabine and cisplatin, and there were rates of better bladder tumour local control as well. So it's a better regimen in terms of outcomes, but uh, I think that there are concerns about toxicity. So it will be interesting to see how uh, whether the um, VESPA trial can uh, continue to show a benefit for dose-dense dose MVAC over GC, and whether that would be enough to change practice. Exactly. It's about you know minimising that risk with these patients in this cohort. Uh, the other study that we're jumping over to the prostate now is the PEACE-1 study, which is not the PEACE-1 study you're probably thinking of, the study that Josh and I talked about again in a recent episode uh, of... Um, abiraterone in the uh, hormone-sensitive space. This is actually a study examining prostate irradiation in men with de novo low-volume metastatic castration-sensitive prostate cancer. And again, very interesting because we do know that in the castration-resistant space, even after a patient has developed castration-resistant disease, if they have low-volume disease, irradiation of the prostate, irradiation of the primary, does improve outcomes. And I guess with every single treatment in prostate cancer moving into the hormone-sensitive space, it stands to reason that uh, someone would try to see if this has a benefit in, uh, in the hormone-sensitive space. So, Josh, those are sort of the uh, some of the smaller bit players of ASCO uh, cleaned up. We're getting into the heavy hitters now. So do you want to talk about some of the updates in Lung? I would love to, and we're already running out of our predefined time, so I will skip through this, like, flash skips a race. I don't know. Um, we, nice work. <laughs> thank you. We have the Adora trial, which is adjuvant osimertinib. We already know... This is a positive trial, but we don't know by how much. There was a press release earlier this year. So that would be really fascinating to kind of figure out what's going on with that, Michael. That's my pick for the Standing Ovation Award for this year's ASCO. Yeah, and then you've got the Keynote 789 trial, which is a pemetrexate and platinum with or without Pembro for TKI-resistant EGFR-mutant metastatic non-squamous non-small cell lung cancer. That is a mouthful. But a interesting uh, um, study in that it is sort of trying to weasel into the space that is currently occupied by the Empower 150 purely on the lack of competing evidence uh, because every other IO trial of its era just excluded patients with uh, these sorts of mutations. Poor Tizzlism app. It's being, you know, everyone's going after it. Uh, I feel a bit bad. Uh, the other one is the... Oh gosh, I don't know, don't actually remember the name of this specific trial, but it is looking at sunvozetinib in non-small cell lung cancer with EGFR sensitizing mutations after failure of an EGFR TKI treatment. Now, I want to know the results of this because when someone progresses an osimertinib, you might move to a second generation TK, uh, you know, an early generation TKI, or might you move the Empower 150, which we just spoke about, but it'd be nice to have a second generation or a later line TKI that we can actually use and has evidence. 
Um, then you've got Keynote 671, which is a double-blinded phase 3 Pembro or placebo plus chemotherapy, followed by resection and pembrolizumab or placebo for early-stage early non-small cell lung cancer. So in English, that's neoadjuvant, Pembro plus or minus chemo, looking for complete pathological response, I suspect, and looking at outcomes for that. So nivolumab has already proven this, and they want to get an approval as well. And finally, in the lung space, we have sotoracib or sotoracib, whichever way you'd like to pronounce it, versus docetaxel in pretreated KRAS G12C mutated advanced non-small cell lung cancers. It'd be interesting to see the intracranial efficacy of this because we know that historically no one does particularly well with intracranial mets, and sotoracib has got approval. There was a phase two trial, which we, I don't know if we've spoken about this, Michael, but we might have in one of our prior episodes just looking at the efficacy in a KRAS setting and it's been approved so that's something to look out for as well finally and the biggest and last michael breast there's always a lot in the breast sphere do you want to run us through it always a lot in the breast sphere so the sonia trial this is a very interesting trial because it's actually looking at when is the best time to give a cdk46 inhibitor we know palbociclib abemocyclib ribocyclib they are all very very good drugs However, there is always this question of aromatase inhibitor resistance, of hormonal therapy resistance. And I guess the question this study seems to be looking at is whether CDK46s can be used as a means to overcoming that resistance. So it's a very interesting question and a very interesting study, one that I'll be looking out for. So the, the next study is an update from Natalie. This has already been deemed a positive trial via a press release, but it'll be interesting to see the numbers. This is the study of the adjuvant ribocyclib um, in, in combination with an aromatase inhibitor. In Australia, I believe that abemocyclib has recently been approved for use in the adjuvant setting for patients with high-risk disease, so big tumours, nodal involvement, high key 67 But it'll be interesting to see if Natalie joins that stable. The next study is the FAE2-FER-GAIN study, a three-year examination of chemotherapy de-escalation in HER2-positive early breast cancers. Don't have much more information on this. It'll be very interesting to see what they mean by de-escalation. But as Josh said, any time we can give patients less chemo is something worth striving towards. And finally, I'll talk about the tropics O2 study. Tropics is again another update of sasituzumab govotecan in hormone receptor positive metastatic breast cancer patients who have had two or more previous lines of chemotherapy, or I should say systemic therapy. Sasituzumab govotecan is another drug that is taking the oncology world by storm. We're seeing it used in the bladder space, the breast space. It's carving out a nice little niche for itself. And a lot of people are very excited because it is a much better option. Obviously, it has its issues with toxicity. Diarrhea is a big issue, but it is a much better option at this late stage in patient's disease than the alternative chemotherapies. I'm thinking that it's going to be a very exciting ASCO this year, Michael. What are your thoughts? I completely agree, Josh. Now, what we're going to do in the coming week after ASCO has finished and the dust has settled is we're going to go through tumour stream by tumour stream and take a deeper dive into the latest and greatest updates in the oncology setting from ASCO. It's going to be a big week. 
but we hope that you will come along on this amazing ride. Journey to the center of the earth, Michael, or ASCO. Journey to the center of Chicago. Oh, I wish we were in Chicago. <laughs> we'll see you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Oncology for the Inquisitive Mind. You'll find previous episodes on our website, along with weekly posts, resources, and links to our Twitter and LinkedIn pages. Check it out at inquisitiveonk.com. That's inquisitiveonk.com. Inquisitive Onk.